Lord, I can't thank you enough for the loving, merciful God you are and that you put up with me. You put up with all of us and and you just constantly are showing us that you are pursuing us. You want so much to wrap us in your arms of love. And Lord, would you please do something special for each one this morning? Even if it's not what I share, we just pray for your Holy Spirit to do what only you can do in every heart. We plead the blood of Jesus over this sanctuary. Bind away the evil one, Lord, and let you only minister to every heart. We thank you, Lord. We love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. If you want to know where Jerry is, he's in Indonesia right now, Jakarta. Pray there's no earthquakes. I think they have more earthquakes in California. Anyway, um, <clears throat> do you know what it says in, in, in 2 Corinthians 9.8? It says, but I say, but this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So I've learned from that verse and just a study of the Bible that my work is is to sow. And I can't thank you enough for what you've done at the thrift store. Because you were sowing for God's kingdom in what you did there. And also on top of that, blessing the school with the little children. But Jerry and I, we actually, um, I guess it was our whole family, but we we were to move to a, a new state. And... We went ahead of time looking over housing. And even before we went to look for housing, when we'd have family worship and we would pray at the end of reading the Bible or or a Bible story, I would always pray, Lord, give us good neighbors. Good neighbors, God. Now, the reason for that was, was when we went to look for housing, um, the only thing we could find to rent was uh, some they call it double house dwellings in the east or duplexes, but it's just like two houses together. You share the same porch, the same yard, you have your own driveways, and there was just this whole series of them. And we, so I would pray, Lord, give us neighbors we could witness to. I mean, no, I would pray, Lord, give us neighbors that are good, that are, they'll be good to us. And, and my husband would pray, Lord, give us neighbors we can love, that we can witness to about Jesus. And I'd say, no, 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 Jerry, we, we have little kids. We need good neighbors. Good, good neighbors. And, and, and we're sharing the same wall. And they, you know, if they play loud music, it'll keep us awake if they have drugs or whatever. And Jerry would always turn around and I thought very piously pray, Lord, give us neighbors we can love to you. And when it came time to move, now Jerry had to go ahead and we had a kid in school and he moved ahead a, f- a few months and I thought, good, you know, Jerry's not praying about this anymore. It's just me praying. So it's just God's going to hear my prayers and answer. Well, when it came time to move, we arrived uh, with a big moving truck. This place was not ready. You know, they were building it. It was a new place. And it, it still had construction stuff through it. There wasn't doorknobs on the doors in it. But we had to move in. The truck driver said, I have to unload you. I've got other moves to make. So even though uh, we weren't supposed to, we, we decided we're going to move in. I actually got locked in one of the bedrooms because it didn't have doorknobs. And my kids got me out. And anyway, in the basement had water in it. I don't know why. When it came time to move, as we pulled up to this house, I'm driving in a car with the kids and Jerry's behind me in his car. 
And as we pull around the corner to where this house is, uh, our moving van was already there, but also in our neighbor's yard. Now remember, I've been praying and praying for good neighbors. I don't want to have bad neighbors to influence my kids wrongly. But in that yard, in the driveway, was over seven Harley Davidson motorcycles. And there was these people standing around, and I... Forgive me if I offend you, but the guys with long hair and beards, no, no offense, George, but you can stereotype and they're standing around in leathers and they're just looking like this. And I don't know if you know about the Hells Angels the drive Harleys, but I know as a little kid riding in the East New York City and all, I'd say, mommy, who are those guys? Those are the Hells Angels. And, you know, I'd hear these stories and here there's all these guys and they're just like this. Well, at this point, and I had cried the last few days because this place was a mess. I said, where are we going to move? We hunted all over again, trying to find a place to live. There was nothing. So we had to move into it. So I was at the point I either cry or I start thanking God, praising God for this place and these new neighbors. And so I start saying, I looked up towards heaven. I said, God, I choose to praise you for my new neighbors. I think you have a sick sense of humor, but I choose to praise you. And then I looked in the rear view mirror for my husband, but I couldn't see Jerry's, just his car. But as I looked again, Jerry's laying out on the seats. He's laughing so hard. (laughs) And when Jerry was able to compose himself and get out of his car and walk over towards these people, I grabbed the kids and I came behind him. You know, I'm scared because they're just like this. And Jerry comes up to him and says, hi, I'm your new neighbor. And they're just... They don't even talk. And what we found out later was the majority of them, just a couple was moving in with their son. They were the guy's brothers. And when he said, I need to move, can you help me? They said, sure. And there was two pickup trucks and the rest brought their bikes. Their big love was Harley Davidson bikes. And so they made a parade of it with these pickup trucks and their Harleys going back and forth, moving from one place to this house. And turned out to be really nice neighbors. In fact, she did not like loud rock music because, I don't know why actually she did, but she made her husband play it really softly so never could hear it. And she did not like alcohol and drug parties because she'd grown up in an alcoholic home and just, it had been a bad thing. So there was never alcohol, drugs. In fact, I never even saw these brothers come back with their bikes. But in this little neighborhood... I would try to get out and be friendly, and it's not easy for me. I am a very shy person, and I I would much rather be alone reading a book. As much as I do love people, I'm more comfortable, you know, that way. And but I knew I need to get out and 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 love people to Jesus. We you know Jesus is coming, and we need to reach this world. But I don't find that easy. And I got out and I, I was trying to meet my neighbors and try to talk to them about God, but nobody was really interested. And I go up to Jerry one day and I said, Jerry, and usually when I try to talk to Jerry, he's shaving or combing his hair. I said, Jerry, um, I've been trying to get a Bible study started with somebody in the neighborhood and I, nobody seems interested. In fact, they're just not real friendly here. And Jerry looks at me, he stops shaving. And he says, Janet, just get out and love your neighbors. And I thought, just get out and love my neighbors? And that was just kind of a new concept for me. Just get out and love my neighbors? Well, what do I do? So the next chance I got, 
I went and sat on the front porch that I shared with his neighbors and just sat there waiting for her to come out of her house so I could start loving her. I wasn't sure how I was supposed to do this, but I decided to pray, God, help me love my neighbor. Michelle was her name. And I sat there. I didn't sit there too long. And she came sauntering out on the porch and just sat down and just kind of looking around. And finally, I said something to her and she said something. And we became such good friends. Ah, and and I remember, I, I thought, you know, I, I should have them over to eat. Because, you know, when you eat together, there's that fellowship. And, and so I thought, oh, I don't really, I'm not really a cook, but I, I, I'm going to have them over. So I invited them over. And she, that morning before they were going to come, around noontime or so, I guess, or the afternoon, I get, began to think, you know, what am I going to fix? You know, I'm a vegetarian. I, I don't, they're not going to like my food. I, and, it, oh, I ended up ordering a pizza and, and told Jerry, pick up some soda pop, you know, and ice cream and stuff. And so they walked into this pizza and they go, pizza? We eat pizza all the time. We wanted to try your vegetarian food. Well, we ate the pizza and went out and sat in the living room. And one thing I learned there that was such an eye-opener for me, I'm sure you're more intelligent and already know this. People everywhere love to have somebody sit and listen to them. We are in a world that is dying for somebody to, to try to understand them, to love them to Jesus, and just to love them. Everybody's so busy talking. Everybody's waiting for you to finish talking so we can share what we want to. If we will just sit and listen to people, it can bring so much healing and love into people's lives. And you know what happens as you sit and you listen to people? It opens up opportunities to pray for them. Because usually people have some burden, some concern, something going on to their life. And, you know, you, it, you can offer, say, hey, if you're okay with it, can we just pray for this situation right now? But it, it, we just became such good friends. I, I love this lady. And, and uh, we ended up moving somewhere else. And she kept my little boys when, when we moved. That, would you believe Jerry and I moved ourselves back and forth with their son using the disaster van? <laughs> the um, It was crazy. But anyway, they kept my sons, and, and, and my son told me later, he said, Mommy, you got to get that lunch, that meat that they had in their sandwiches. It was the best meat I've ever had. And, of course, we use these veggie meat. And, and this was real bologna that they were having. <laughs> but it, it, was, it was good. But, but when Michelle's mother was dying, Michelle came to me and said, Could you and Jerry go and talk to her about Jesus? Because Michelle and I had now had many conversations about Jesus. And so we went to visit her mom and, and, and led her to Jesus. And of course, then her mom passed away and they, they have a funeral. And I thought, oh my goodness, you know, you have a funeral, you need to have a funeral dinner. None of these people are churchgoers. I've got to put on a funeral dinner. Well, I'm not a cook. What am I going to do? So I called up every, I thank God for deaconess. Do deacons cook too? They should. But I, I went and called up all the churches I could. Could you give us food, you know, for this funeral dinner? And I went and I picked up this food, brought it over. I went for the chapel service, but while they're at the great side, I go to the house to warm up this food. And I'm there in this, this big old house and trying to run this oven. And I got this food in there and it suddenly dawns on me, this is all vegetarian food. And these are all big meat eaters. Oh, they're not going to like this. What have I done? And I was so worried. 
And when they came walking into the house, and, and Michelle had big brothers, big guys. They come walking in, they looked at me, why are you doing this? And I said, because I love your sister. And, <clears throat> you know, they, they, didn't, they never had anybody reach out and love them. They never experienced that kind of thing. And I was so scared of praying about the food. But, but do you know, these big old burly guys loved the food. They're telling their wives or their girlfriends, get that recipe. It's really good. But I didn't have the recipes because I hadn't fixed any of it. <laughs> but I, I got it later and sent it to him. And, but later, Michelle came to church. And um, she, after hearing Jerry speak, she, she wanted to get Bible studies and get baptized. And um, I don't know how it is for you. But you know, Jerry's idea for us to witness is for me to make bread and take it to my neighbors. I suggest to him, why don't you... You know, rake their drive their yards or, or wash their cars for them or something. Why do I have to make bread? And he'd say, No, no, you need to make bread. Take it out to the neighbors. So I started trying to do that. Now my bread comes out terrible. It comes out with a big crack in the middle with these dog ears hanging down. I'm I'm serious and just hanging down. But I started praying over that bread and God started giving me good loaves that we could take to the neighbors. And I'd take them quickly before they fell. Before, you know, I was afraid it might develop the dog ears. And, but we'd pray over that bread that people would experience Jesus' love as, as we give it to him. Well, this one neighbor, he had used to go to, went to church when he was a, a young guy, but he didn't go anymore. And he had this terrible story about his father. His father was just so mean and strict and would beat them all the time. And, and so he didn't want anything to do with church. And so we were really praying about how to reach him. You know, this isn't God. This, God wouldn't do that to you. Jesus is love. And, and my husband decided with a bright idea to invite him over to eat. And I said, Jerry, you know, I can't cook. He said, we need to have him over. So he invites him over. And I'm rushing, trying to get food fixed. And, of course, what do you fix? I fix haystacks. <laughs> the, the, I'm, I'm pretty good at that now. And... So I'm rushing to try this, this food ready. And, and Jerry says, um, uh, Janet, you know, it's, we're going to have sundown. We need to have sundown worship. He said, uh, uh, what should we do? And I said, look, Jerry, I'm fixing the food. You take care of that part, okay? And so I'm busy with that. He takes Zach. Zach's like four years old. He takes Zach back in the bedroom. And he says, now, Zach, this is what we're going to do. I, how about if we do this? And he said, Zach, you know, the whole reason we're doing this is because our neighbor... They, they need to go to church. They need to know Jesus. And they got little kids. They need to raise those kids up in Jesus. So they'll be ha- much happier. And he tells Zach all this. And then he prays for this neighbor, praying that God will bless this visit. And, and that the neighbor will come to church and really, you know, realize God loves him. That it's not like how he'd been treated as a child. And so they come. Actually, his wife didn't. She was sick in bed. But he came with his little kids. And we had haystacks. Well, one mistake I made is, this was in Pennsylvania, and it was in fall, the fall when they had lots of apples. And I had bought at a fruit stand fresh apple juice. And so it was so good that Jerry sat there drinking glass after glass after glass as he was eating his haystacks. And we got done with that. We're sitting in the living room. And... Um, Jerry has a little sundown worship. And then he asks Zach to pray. And Zach starts praying. Now remember, he's four years old. 
He starts praying the exact prayer he heard his father pray in the bedroom. Lord, would you please help our neighbors to realize you're a God of love? Will you help our neighbor realize whatever, I forgot what his name was, but that he needs to take his kids to Sabbath school, to church. And exactly what Jerry prayed in the bedroom about his neighbor's conversion and all, Zach prays there with the neighbor in the living room. When we get done, when Zach gets done with this beautiful prayer, everybody sat down, Jerry's just silent. And I look at the neighbor, he's silent, and I'm looking at Jerry, come on, say something. But Jerry's just white as a sheet. Well, what happened was, during the middle of this prayer, Jerry starts getting severe stomach cramps because he drank so much of this fresh apple juice. And he's dying to go to the to the, the toilet. And so he can't say a word. He's just like this. And the neighbor, it was just so awkward. And the neighbor finally excused himself, said, well, I better go home and check on my wife. And I said, oh, thanks for coming over. You know, we were so mortified, so embarrassed. But do you know that very next Sabbath, the neighbor was there with his little kids in Sabbath school? You don't know how God can even use our little children. What we think may be a mistake, God uses. And, but this, this, um, neighbors, they, they moved to another area and new neighbors moved in. And of course, I'm trying to do what Jerry says and pass out this bread. And this new neighbor that moved in actually acted like they liked my bread. We kind of struck up a conversation. And I found out later she didn't like my bread. <laughs> but her, but her, her husband did. And, but we became friends. And you, you just fall in love with people. If you just get out there and meet them. It's just so hard to get out there and meet them though. And in fact, where I lived here in California before we moved to, uh, back to Maryland, I, I would get out and walk. We lived in the country on these dirt roads and I would get out and just walk and walk and say, Lord, I cannot go up to a door and knock on a door because you know why people live in the country. They don't want to be bothered. You know, they're on all these, these acres and some of them have meth labs and all kinds of things and I don't want to go to a door. I said, God, if you want me to meet people, you got to bring them out of their houses. And you know God did that. He brought uh, several couples or different people out of their homes and we became such good friends and and I'd invite them over to eat yeah I, I continue trying to do that and it was haystacks and and um they would invite us over and they became my best buddies while living here if I had a problem or something I'd call my neighbor they were there to help me do you know your neighbors do you know their names I, I don't begin to know all my neighbors but but those that God's led for me to know, and, and you become such precious friends. But this neighbor that I'd taken this bread to, she, you know, as you spend time with God every day, God puts in you a testimony about his goodness. Because you start bubbling over with all the ways you see God works and how he's loving you. And it's hard to keep quiet. You want to share all these things with people. And I started sharing these things with, with this neighbor, Karen. And Karen said to me one day, she said, you know, I need to go back to church. I haven't been to church since I was 17 years old. And she's now in her middle 30s. And she says, I, I need to go to church. And I thought, great, you know, she'll, she'll come to our church. Because I would invite her. But she didn't want to do that. 
And I would invite her to our, our kids' uh, programs, musical programs and different things, and she would enjoy she would enjoy that, but she still didn't want to come to the church. And her little girl, she had, you know, Zach's now four or five years old. Her little girl was like three. And I would tell Zach, I say, Zach, your mission to help these people see Jesus' love is to play with their little girl, because we didn't have a lot of neighbors, especially none with kids. And I said, she's your only person she can play with. And so Zach took it on as his mission as a little kid to play with his three-year-old. And that so touched these parents' heart that our son would be that loving and patient with a smaller child like that. It was such a good influence. And But one day, you know, I'm praying and praying and praying with my prayer partners. I said, would you pray? I have fallen in love with Karen and Richard. I just, I love these people. Because you see, I had prayed. I said, God... I'm, I'm busy. You know how busy I am. All the things I gotta do for you. I said, but if you want me to reach Karen and Richard, get her to call me. Whatever she needs, Lord, if I can help, I'll drop whatever I'm doing to help her. And you pray a prayer like that, God will take you up on it. Every once in a while, Karen would be calling. Hey, do you know how to do such and such? I said, uh, yeah, I'll come help you. Uh, one day she called up and said, it could, could, do you know how to can? I need, I got all these tomatoes I need to can. I said, sure, I've got even the equipment. I can bring it over. And so I brought everything over and, and helped her to can her tomatoes. Just whatever there was that God would open the door for, we would do as a family. Jerry would have his worships in the living room at, with the big picture window and watch, you know, the sun coming up. It wasn't that he's worshiping the sun, but he just enjoyed the sun coming up. And, but the neighbors were across, these particular neighbors across the street. And he would see in the dark out there, she's trying to pull out of her driveway to go to work, and there'd be a car problem. Like one time it was a flat tire. So Jerry puts on his coat and runs over there to help his neighbors. And she thanked him for that. But another time, they were it had snowed and she was stuck, and her husband was there trying to get her unstuck because she had to get to work early in the morning. And... and it wasn't working. So Jerry sees them over there and goes and grabs a shovel, puts on his coat, runs over there to help him. And she looks at Jerry and says, what are you, my angel? How do you know I have these problems? She didn't know, you know, at 5.30 in the morning, Jerry's there at the window watching him or looking out the window. And so just whatever God opened up for us to do, we would try to do for them. And one day she calls me up and she said, and, and, you know, I'd fallen in love with these people and I kept telling God, God, what do we do? How do we help them see they need Jesus in their lives? And Karen calls me up one day and she said, do you know anything about the vegetarian cooking classes going on at such and such a church? I said, no, but I'll find out for you because that's uh, my church. And so I got her registered, she and her husband, she was a gourmet cook. In fact, both she and her husband loved to cook. Can you believe this? Gourmet cook, and I invite them and have them over to eat. I mean, she put on big office group parties for her husband's office group, cooking. She loved to cook. And she sat there eating my food. And this time I got braver. It wasn't haystacks, it was lentil soup. And she sat there just very finically eating it. But you know what I found out? It does not matter what the food tastes like or how it is. Because we sat down with them after that in our living room and we sat and listened to their story, to their lives. And that moves on people's hearts 
that they need God in their lives. Because we would sit there and just listen to them, not try to push something on them, not tell them all about our lives, our story, but listen to them. And she, they went to this cooking class, and it was the best cooking school that I ever knew about. They invited church members. They said, even if you don't know how to cook or anything, just please come and be friendly and love people. So the church members came out and just would love and be friendly. And out of that, my now when Karen would come to the kids' school programs, she would tell me when the next day, I met so many people that I know now because of the cooking classes. In fact, she says, I know more people now at your church than my church. Now, she had started attending a church at the end of the street. And she'd been going there for many months. And yet, she now knew more people coming to my kids' school programs because of how friendly and loving the people were at the cooking school. And she decided, she and her husband, she told me one day, and they signed up to uh, take a, a, a discipleship class at their church. And it just really scared me to death because I knew this church, I knew what they believed, and they were going to teach her that the Bible was not true, that it's just stories, fables. And the Bible is true. And I did not want her getting destroyed that way. But I didn't, I, you know, I couldn't just tell her that. And I started praying, praying, God, what do I do? What do I do? And I felt like God was telling me, offer to meet with her once a week and pray. Pray specifically about her smoking problem. I knew that she wanted to quit smoking. She had uh, told me that many times that, you know, she was uh, like three packs a day smoker and her husband smoked too and they both knew they needed to quit for their health. And so I I thought, you know, call her up and ask her to pray with me, you know. I don't know if she's going to be comfortable with this. Finally, I got the courage and I called her and I said, hey, Karen, how about if we start meeting once a week and, and praying together? Maybe even, you know, pray for your uh, smoking problem. I know you and your husband would like to quit. And she said... Uh, I don't know. I don't want to bother God with a smoking problem. He, medical science can take care of that. I, I don't want to bother God. In fact, my husband's office is going to start a, a class that we can take to help us stop smoking in a few weeks. And I said, well, can we still meet and pray together? She said, well, okay, I've never prayed out loud with anybody, but okay. So she came over. We scheduled the day on a Thursday. We were going to meet Thursday mornings. And as we started to pray, I said to her, Karen, I know medical science can help the smoking problem, but could we please pray for it? I really think we need God in this cause to really overcome the smoking. She said, well, I don't know, I, I guess. She just was so hesitant on it. I don't know why. And so we prayed. Now, one of the things I prayed to begin with was I said, Lord, just we plead the blood of Jesus over us. We pray for the covering protection of your angels, that you will allow no evil thoughts, nothing but your thoughts, God, to come as we pray. And as we did that, when we got it, it it was so beautiful listening to her pray. Because she said, I've never prayed out loud with anyone before. And as she prayed, it was so beautiful. As a Christian, you know, I've I've grown up in the church, you kind of get in a rut how you pray. You pray the same kind of thing over and over. And to listen to Karen's prayers, it was so refreshing. And just the way she talked to God. And after we got done, and I, of course, prayed about the smoking problem. But after we got done, Karen says, 
You know, Janet, that's the first time I prayed that I've not been harassed by evil thoughts when I prayed. The blood of Jesus is powerful. We need to be claiming that over us more and more. And so, Karen, a few weeks later, after attending these classes, Karen and Richard, you know, stopped smoking. Now, the instructor taught them all the withdrawal symptoms you'll go through and what to do so you can, you know, not have a problem with that and you can quit the smoking. Well, the week they decided to quit smoking was extremely busy for me. And I called her up on Thursday and said, you know, I, I, I don't have time to get together this week. I've got a women's retreat this weekend. Uh, can we wait till next week? She said, yeah, that's okay. We can wait. She said, but Janet, can I tell you something? I said, okay. She said, you're so right about God. I said, what do you mean, right about God? Well, you know, we quit smoking on Sunday. I said, I know. Uh, we've all been praying for you. How's it going? And she said, Janet, Rich and I have not had one withdrawal symptom the whole week. It's been no problem to quit smoking. And our instructor is going crazy, going, you should be going through this and this and this. Why aren't you going through these things? Are you sure you smoked? She was a three packs a day cigarette smoker. I don't know how much her husband smoked. God just miraculously took away that problem. Now we know that God does not always do that. But if God tells you to call your neighbor and to pray with them, meet and pray every week for that smoking problem, you want to do it. Because it means God is about to do a mighty miracle in those people's lives. And later, um, there was this discipleship class. When we'd meet on Thursdays to pray, she would tell me what she was learning. And it was, do you know the Bible's not true? Do you know there was no Adam and Eve and all? And I just about come across the table at her trying to tell her, no, don't believe these lies. The Bible is true. But she didn't want to hear it. She didn't want to hear. You know, her church was telling her this. No, she didn't want to hear. All I could do was pray and to just keep loving her. And later on, we were, um, one of our churches nearby was holding evangelistic meetings. And so I took a brochure to her. They'd been mailed out, but I decided to hand deliver one and, of course, really prayed over it before I took it. And I thought, you know, she's not going to want to come. And But I took it and I said, hey, we're going to have these meetings. If you'd like to go, I'd be glad to take you. And she says, oh, well, maybe. And she throws it on the counter in the kitchen. And that was the end of that. I walk back home. I'm just so discouraged, thinking, you know, she's never going to come. And I love these people. I want them to know that the Bible's true and how much Jesus loves them. As soon as I get home, the phone's ringing. And I answer it. And it's Karen. She's Janet. I just read the brochure. It's so beautiful. It's so good. I can't wait for these meetings to start. And they came to the meetings. And But before they came, I, I went with my prayer partner to that church. And I said, let's just pray. Pray for God to so fill this place with his presence and his peace. That it will overcome anybody who comes. That they'll realize God's here. And one of the things after, and it was a long series of meetings, but one of the things Karen said one day as we got together to pray, she said, you know, I just love going to your church. I so sense peace in God's presence there. Just what we'd been praying. And But I knew when it came time when they would present uh, the Sabbath truth, that Karen's not going to be interested because she had been out of work for a while. She now had a job she really liked, and, and she wouldn't want to give that up to go to church. and But my prayer partner, she called me up one day. She said, Janet, you know they're going to present this week about the Sabbath. 
the Bible Sabbath. And she said, we need to really pray. In fact, we need to fast all week for this. And I said, no food? She said, no food. I said, juice? She said, well, maybe a little. So we fasted that week and we prayed and prayed. We prayed that that God would so obsess their minds, you know, that they'd have to keep the Sabbath. Well, when the Sabbath truth was presented, Karen says, no, I, you know, everything else is great, but not that one. I can't do that because of my job. I, I just can't. And she, the meetings ended. That was it. But we kept praying, Lord, give her no peace, obsess her, that she needs to keep your Sabbath, your Bible Sabbath. And one day we met to pray on a Thursday. Karen's sitting there on my couch and she's just rubbing her head and going, I don't know. She said, I'm going to have to keep this Bible Sabbath. I'm so obsessed with this. I have no peace. It was just the same words we'd been praying for, for weeks and weeks for her. And so, you know, Karen and Richard were baptized and came into the church. But that's not the important thing that they were baptized, came in the church. The important thing was, I want to see them in love with Jesus. And I got this most beautiful letter later from Karen. They'd moved away. And she said in it, thank you for showing me God's love. Thank you for teaching me about Jesus. I'm so happy now and so in love with Jesus. There are so many people out there that need that. But how do you reach them? How do you know who they are? I mean, you just can't go, do you know about Jesus? At least I can't. But if you pray, like I've done as I walk my neighborhoods, God will bring them out of their houses. You know, where I live now, we are not home. I People ask, our neighbors ask, why do you have a house? You're never here. And but but we've gotten to know some of our neighbors in this one particular neighbor and we uh have taken him out to eat i haven't been brave enough to have him over to eat and we, part of it was to thank him because he would plow our, our driveway for the snow so when we came back from africa you know we could get into the house and but you know there's still kind of this standoffishness but you know what reached this man was I asked him, our heater wasn't working well at our house and I was afraid of it going off, the pipes freezing. And we were headed somewhere overseas and it was January. So I said, I gave him keys to my house. I said, would you mind just going in and checking? I said, I've got all these uh, little heaters running, not, not the kind that are safe. Anyway, and to, to make sure the pipes don't freeze because our main central heat's not working right. And he said, sure, I'll, I'll do that for you. And he says, in fact, I can maybe look at the why the heater's not running right. Do you know, asking him to help me was such an opener of reaching that couple, just teaching them about Jesus. Let people help you. Don't be so independent and think you're going to be a burden. Because I always worry about, oh, I'm just going to be a burden. And I, I realize that living here in California with my neighbors, it was good for them to help me to realize I needed them too. And later on, this guy, Bob, we'd just gotten in late from a trip. We were actually going to be home a day. And the next day after that, we had to fly out again. So I had a lot to do, just wash clothes, get them ready, get office work done, pay the bills before we left again. It, it may be we were going to be home for two days, I think. And But... I get home and I get this text message from Bob, my neighbor, and he said, could you call me? And so I called him. I said, what's going on? And he said, I've been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. He said, "Uh, I just wanted you and Jerry to know, 
he said, I'm going to have surgery in the morning. Could, could, could you, you know, just remember me? I said, sure, Bob, we will. I said, could we pray for you right now? He said, yeah, 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 that, that would be good. So I grabbed, got Jerry and we prayed with him there on the phone and, and, and I said, what time's your surgery? And he, I don't know if it was six or seven. I think it was six. And I hung up and I just had this thought so strong, you know, his wife's going to be there all alone while he's having this major surgery. You know, you, you got to go. And I'm thinking, but I got to get ready for the next trip. I got to go out of town. And, but I, I had no rest about it. And I said, I, I will go. So 4.30 in the morning, I'm in my car trying to find this hospital in downtown Baltimore, which is not a safe place. And I found it, though, and, and I didn't even know what part of this, this huge hospital they're going to be in. But I found the waiting room for where his surgery was. And so I'm sitting there, and they told me that, that uh, the wife was back with her husband. You know, the last few things were happening before they took him into surgery. So I go and sit down there, and there's this young woman sitting there. And uh, some guy came up and kind of said something to her and to me. And, and she said, uh, yeah, I'm here for my dad. Uh, my dad's having surgery. And the guy said, what kind of surgery? She said, uh, pancreatic cancer. I thought, wow, isn't that interesting? Her dad's having surgery, and I'm here for my neighbor. He's having surgery. And then it just dawned on me. Are you related? <laughs> you know, is what I'm thinking. And I said to her, uh, my neighbor's having surgery. What's your dad's name? And this was his daughter. And you don't know. How long do you stay with people? What do you do? You, you know, do they, would you, they rather you not be there or what? And when his wife came out, you know, I greeted her. And she said, oh, Janet, we, you know, I couldn't believe I was there. And I said, well, I just wanted to come and pray for you. I said, I know this is a really stressful time. And I prayed with him. And then I, I just thought, Lord, should I stay? Should I not stay? And I didn't know what I should do. And finally, I just said to him, would it be good if I stayed or would, would it be better if I left? You know, I, you two maybe need to be alone. And they said, no, 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 please stay, please stay, please talk to us. And I went with them to eat after he went into surgery and I kept saying, can we just pray again? Several times we prayed for him. And his wife is a pediatrician. She's a, a, a retired pediatrician. So she knew what could be happening in there. She knew how bad it could be more than your normal person. And... I didn't know if this was a good thing, but I stayed the whole day. But do you know, God was leading. That couple, has if they've thanked me once, they've thanked me a hundred times that I was there. Especially Bob has thanked me that I stayed there with his wife and his daughter. I know we all have busy schedules, but pray, pray for God to help you be open to what he wants you to do. And there's so many good things that we could all do, right? And how do we know what we should do? If you look at Mark one thirty-five. It, it tells you there. In Mark 135, it, it's talking about Jesus. And Jesus, now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. And verse 36, and Simon and those who were with him searched for him. Verse 37, when they found him, they said to him, everyone is looking for you. But what did Jesus say? Jesus said, no, no, let us go to the next towns that I may preach there also because for this purpose I have come forth. Now, if you were Jesus, 
If I were Jesus and my disciples came and said, everybody's looking for you. They, they need to be healed. They got this and this. I would just go right away and, 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 you know, heal them. Do what I would do is, is Jesus. But what did Jesus do? Jesus says, no, no, we're going to go on to the next towns. How did he know to do that? How do we know what to take on, what not to, whether to work, volunteer at a thrift store or, or what to take on? We know by spending time with Jesus. And as we spend that time in his word with him, Jesus will lead us to the things he wants us each to do. And it's not going to be the same for each one of us. Jesus, they'd come and tell him, Jesus, your best friend, Lazarus, is dying. You've got to come and heal him. What does Jesus do? If it were my best friend, I would be there in an instant. I would be there to heal them. Wouldn't you? But Jesus doesn't. Jesus says, no. And he delays several days before he goes. Spending that time with Jesus, God will show each of us what we should take on and what we shouldn't with each one. But, you know, I'm on a plane a lot. And, and I actually do not pray, God, help me to meet people I can w- love to you, witness for y- about you too. Because I don't want to be bothered. I want to sleep on the plane. I don't want to talk to people. And I started feeling guilty that, about that. And so I started praying, Lord, okay, if you want me to meet people on the planes, you do it. But you've got to put your words in my mouth because I don't know what to say. I'm not a Mark Finley. I'm not the kind that can, you know, just convert him right there and baptize him in the toilet. I just, I can't do that. And so after praying this prayer, we were on some flight. I don't even know where we were coming from, but we, we made a connection in, in Ethiopia, Dar es Salaam or uh, something like that. They're, they're one big city there. And, and we're on the next flight to come back to the U.S. Now, Jerry and I, we get aisle seats because I'm he gets aisle, I get an aisle because I'm very claustrophobic. So I'm sitting in this aisle seat. He's over here. And this woman comes in and sits down next to me and then another woman. And I'm sitting there looking at him. Okay, God, am I supposed to talk to them? And the woman immediately puts on headphones. That is a good sign. They don't want you to talk to him. I thought, good, I don't have to talk to him. But I had this urgent, talk to her, talk to her. And I but I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. And she's got headphones on. She doesn't want to talk to me. And I'm arguing this back and forth in my mind, you know, with God. And all of a sudden, uh, she, the woman takes off her headphones because they're coming with a cart to give drinks. And she takes off her headphones and just this urge to talk to her. So I said to her, hi. <laughs> um, looking at the way she and her friend are dressed, it looked like they'd been on an African safari. And Ethiopia, you know, they were in Africa because they had on backpacking pants and stuff and hiking boots. And so I said, hi, you been on a safari? And she goes, no. I thought, oh, okay. And I said, well, what were you doing? And I don't normally do this to people. And she looked at me. She says, we've been at a hospital working. I said, oh, are you doctors? Yes. I said, oh, I said, what hospital? And she said, Gimpy, Gimpy, we just been in the year before. It's a little Adventist hospital, eight hours down a gravel dirt road to get to it in a bumpy road. And I said, Gimpy, I've been there. We were there about a year ago. And she said, hmm. And I'm, I'm going, 
what kind of doctor are you? I'm trying to come up with things to talk about. I don't know what to do. And she said, I'm an anesthesiologist. And her friend was too. Jerry's hearing this conversation. And, and somehow it came out where she lived. She's lived in Portland, Oregon. And she puts back on the headphones. And I'm sitting there thinking, she's an anesthesiologist? And she told me she works at the veteran hospital. I thought, she's an anesthesiologist. She works at the veteran's hospital in Portland, Oregon. And uh, Jerry said before that, he said, oh, do you work at, at the Portland Adventist Hospital? She said, no, you know, the veteran's hospital. So I'm sitting there thinking, for years I have prayed for a woman that works at the veteran's hospital that's an anesthesiologist. Her mother, we met in a prayer group every Wednesday and would pray, pray, pray for her daughter to get through med school and just everything. And so I waited for her to take off her headphones again. And I think it's when they brought the food. And she put the headphones down and I said, um, would you happen to know Linda Wiley? She's an anesthesiologist that works at the Veterans Hospital in Portland, Oregon. And she looks at me and she goes, I am her. <laughs> and I could not believe it. And I said to her, I said, Linda, Linda, what a privilege to meet you. I prayed for years for you. Prayed you through med school with your mom. Her mom had passed away a few years before this or so. And she's just in shock and realizes, she said, this isn't a coincidence that we're meeting. Now, Linda hasn't been going to church. She hasn't been living a lifestyle at all with God. Well, she tells her friend, and her friend says, oh, that's just a coincidence. That just happened. You know, that kind of stuff happens all the time. People meet on planes. Well, I kind of felt deflated by that, and I didn't know. Not much more, I don't think, happened the conversation. We talked some about her mom, and I just told her, you know, your mom really loved you. I know your mom didn't do everything right, but your mom loved you. And when we were at the airport, we finally got to the U.S. many hours later, and we're there waiting for our baggage. Linda comes up to me and says, it's not a coincidence we met. And she said, you've given me a lot to think about. I don't know what God will do with that. But another flight, I'm in an aisle seat, and this woman sitting there, she couldn't sleep. I don't know what her problem was. And she kept waking up. You know, we're, it's the middle of night, and, and she, first she had a headache. I said, okay, I can help you. I've got some medicine. So I gave her the medicine. And later it was something else. And I always, I, I'm melancholy, so I carry everything in the world with me. So I kept helping her. And she said, you're amazing. You have everything. And, but it struck up a conversation. I got to talk to her about God and I got to give her a glow track. And she gave me, before we left, a cheap bracelet that she bought. She buys a bunch of these ornaments overseas and brings them back to the U.S. to sell. And it's a, uh, uh, just a hot pink bracelet. And I keep that on my desk to pray for Bouquet. I don't know any more about her. I don't know if I'll ever meet her again. But I hope I meet her in heaven. I, you don't know. But if you just pray for these appointments, God will give them to you. I just want to share one more and then I, I'm going to quit. But we had spoken for several days in Miami uh, at a convention. And we were leaving, it's like 4, 4.30 in the morning, headed to the airport. And we come out of the hotel to catch the hotel bus to go, and he's not there yet, so we waited, waited. Finally, this big guy pulls up with this hotel bus, and he gets out, but instead of telling us, you know, to come, he just opens the back doors. And I looked at Jerry, and I said, well, maybe we should take our stuff over. So we take our suitcases over, and the guy just 
Jerry tries to help him put him in. And he, no, no, I'll do it. And the guy just grabs him, sticks him in. And doesn't say a word to us. He just gets back in the bus to go. And I thought, well, we better get in. And it was only the two of us and one other guy. So we jump in the bus, and his, this guy's just driving over there. It's obvious he is not a happy man. And as we're driving over there, I pull out my glow tracks, which I carry a ton of them, and I can never decide which ones to give to people. And I'm praying, praying, Lord, which ones do I give? And I picked out two, and one of them was Peace Above a Storm. And then I had an, another one there. And when we get there... And I always try to tip a good amount so that they might read the glow track. And we get there, and I, as it's, he pulls the stuff out and puts it on the curb. You know, Jerry again tries to offer to help. No, I'll do it. And he's a big, huge Samoan guy. And he goes and he pulls them all out, slams them on the curb, and goes to get back. And I said, Mr., wait a minute. I said, I have something for you. And I hand him the money with the glow tracks. I said, thank you for bringing us. Huh. And he goes and gets in his vehicle. We're standing there on the curb, because uh, we've got so much luggage, we're doing curbside check-in. We're standing there in the dark, waiting uh, it's, to get checked in. And I'm just standing there by Jerry, and all of a sudden I feel this big arm grab me. And I look over, and it's this bus driver. And he, he grabs me like this, he has the glow tracks in his hands, and he puts them down and he says... Thank you for giving me this. Now I know I'm going to have a good day. (laughs) And I said, oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. I said, can I hug you? And I hugged him and I said, can I pray for you? He says, yes, I'd like that. Well, Jerry turned around and looked right at the time I'm hugging this big Samoan guy. He's wondering what's going on. Anyway, I prayed with this man and he said, Thank you. And he goes to get back in his truck. I can't tell you how much courage it took for me to drum up to give that man something and even to pray with him. But I look forward to meeting him in heaven. I believe I'm going to see that guy. I don't even know his name. But there's a world out there that needs to be loved to Jesus. And I, I can't encourage you enough. I don't know if you're shy like I am. To just pray for God to lead, to know your neighbors, to get out and reach people. I know it's late. Can I share one more story? Just one more. I promise I'm going to quit. I was in, and I may have shared before, I don't know. I was in series. We had a, um, they're going to do evangelistic meetings. And they wanted to do 24 hours of prayer. And so they called me up and asked if I'd come help. And in, in the Sabbath afternoon, we decided to do a, a prayer walk. And my way of prayer walking is you go around and pray for the people in their homes, to, for them to know Jesus and, and maybe to come to the meeting to learn about Jesus and the Bible truths. And I'm with these two young adults and the others on the other side of the street. And we started walking down the street just praying for the people in the homes. I love to do that. And businesses pray around them because God opens your eyes how to pray for people. And But as we're doing this, this young adult couple says, you know, this is okay, but I think we ought to knock on the doors and offer to pray with people. Well, I was scared to death to do that because, you know, people might get mad and yell at me and slam the door in my face, and I don't like that, and I didn't want to do that. But I couldn't admit it to this young adult couple because I'm the adult, you know, and I was the prayer person, you know. I'm supposed to know, be feel good about these things. So I said to them, I said, okay, well, if you want to go to the door... And do you promise? 
uh, that you're going to pray for these requests every week. You, you know, if you ask people, and they said, yeah, yeah, we'll do that. Because, you know, I don't live here. I can't do that. I mean, I can pray for them, but I can't go back and visit them. You need to go back and visit them. They said, yeah, we'll do that. So I said, well, I've got paper and a pen. I'll write down the prayer requests. You go to the door and ask them. I thought, that's safe. I don't have to talk to the people. And so we go to the first house. It's bars on the doors and the windows. And the the woman comes to the door. She doesn't open the screen door that's got bars. It's locked. She says, what do you want? And they, the couple said, "Uh, we're here from such and such a church. We just wondered if maybe you needed prayer. Could we pray for you? And they said, the woman said, yeah, you can pray for me. I, I, I've been out of work for so many months. My husband's been out of work. We lost our home. We're now living with my in-laws. And they prayed with her. And, and she told him, she said, you know, I just told my husband we need to get back to God, to church, because we haven't been going for a long time. And she now, after they prayed with her, she comes out of the house, unlocks the door, comes out and says, which church are you from? And she wants to shake all of our hands. And we left we went on down, and this time, that was a good experience, so I was brave now. So I led the way to the next house, and I thought, you know, this is, this is good. So the next place we go to, it's a regular screen door, no bars, and there's a light on, and it's kind of in an enclosed porch. So I go up on the porch and knock on the door, because this is going to be a good experience. All of a sudden, I hear this boom, 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 and this very large, tall woman came to the door, what do you want? Before she even got there to say that, I was off the porch, back into the bushes, scared to death. And this couple, the, the guy was real little, she was tall. He stands there and looks up at her and says, uh, we're from such and such a church. C- could we pray for you? Do you have a prayer request? And she says, yes, I have a prayer request. You can pray for my whole family. My son just died yesterday. We were so shocked. The first house, they'd been out of work. They lost their home. This one, the son had died. So they prayed with her. And then we went on to the next house. The next house, the people weren't interested, but they politely closed the door. They didn't yell or slam it. And so by that time, it was time to get to the church because another prayer group group was coming in to pray for the next hour. I said, we got to get back. They're going to wonder where we are. So I'm leading the way to get back into the comfortable place of the church. And I'm walking down the sidewalk, headed back to the church, going, come on. And there was these young adults in this driveway in front of a house. The garage door was open. They're sitting around there. And But the young woman in bibbed overalls, she comes out, gets right in my face and says, what are you doing? And I go, well, we're, we're praying with people. You know, I, I was embarrassed to admit it. And I just said, well, we're praying with people. And she says very loudly, you're praying with people? And the guy in the garage sitting there heard me, and he says, you're praying with people. You need to go to the house over there and pray with those people because their son just got killed yesterday. And Josh, this young guy with us, he said, we did pray for him. How can we pray for you? He's sitting there with an alcoholic bottle in his hand, and he looks at that bottle, and he says, there's no hope for me. I've tried to quit. I've tried. There's just no hope for me. And Josh looks at him and said, there is hope for you. God saved me out of drugs and alcohol. He can save you. Can we pray for you? And this young guy looks at him and goes, you mean now? He said, yeah, now. He said, well, do I have to pray? He said, well, only if you want to. He says, okay. This time, normally one prayed at the door. All three of us prayed at the door. And as we 
because we're so moved by it. And when we got through praying, we opened our eyes. This guy's got tears in his eyes. He goes, what church are you from? Do you have AA meetings there? Where is it at? He kept asking over and over. You know, I felt like God was just hitting me up the side of the head going, Janet, Janet, will you get out of your shyness and get out here and love people to me? There's a world desperate for Jesus. If you would just stand with me as we pray. Lord, forgive me. Forgive me for my shyness. Forgive me that it's just so hard to reach out to people. Forgive me for my busyness, that I feel like I'm so busy doing important things that I don't notice the needs out there. I don't reach out and love people like I should. God, I don't know if anybody else here is experiencing that too. But would you help them? Would you help me? Help us, Lord, to do like these wonderful volunteers have done with a thrift store. To take time out of our busy lives. To do what you're calling each one of us to do. It's going to be different. But Lord, help us each to spend that time with you. Knowing your plans, your will for our life each day. We thank you, Lord. We love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.